0: Welcome to We Genius Minds podcast, coming to you from the future in the midst of these crucial times of change. I am Paulina Amador, your host, director, and producer of the groundbreaking documentary, Evolution, the Genius Equation. I invite you to watch my film at our website, wegeniusminds.com. This series expands on the brilliant interviews I conducted with some of the most revolutionary scientists and best-selling authors of our time. Today's podcast is with the legendary J.C. Knight, inventor of the patented Blue Room technology, author of the book A State of Mind, My Story, and the unique channel of Ramtha. In this second episode, J.C. shares with us how a passion for the future is fundamental to achieving genius, and how she was inspired to build the Blue Room's life-changing technology. JC, you are a true genius and a master at changing states of mind. Can you explain to us what mind is and why you have said that it is at the heart of life?
1: Well, because it is. I mean, Okay, what is a mind? Show me where it is. Could you show me where one is? It's what we call it invisible, isn't it? That we actually can only define by its effects. Think about that for a moment. Jesus had this great saying. and He said, you will know them by the fruit they bear. Meaning, do they create wonderful things? Do they help the poor? To they help the sick? They may not have healing hands, but maybe they have healing herbs or maybe they understand something to make life better. This poor, wretched person. We are known by the works we do. Now I think that's a very important phrase. Then if we are a ball of light, why are we here? So concept of, Mind and its effects is like Jesus' is teaching. Uh, you'll know them by their fruit. In other words, you could describe this wonderful person. Well, what have they done? You know, what have they done? And that leads me to understand what destiny is. What is our destiny? Ram says it is to make known the unknown. Invent something. Have a new idea of color, utilize your imagination, which is such a marvelous gift bag that we're sent here with, our imagination. I mean, we couldn't we couldn't have had a better suitcase than that thing, to create something better, to take what is and advance it, you know? Take a child's brain from ignorance into genius, but learn how to teach him that, Don't ever teach them out of their own common sense, their own talent. Don't ever do that. Because those are hard-earned concepts from other lives that they bring with them. So a mind, we can't say, this is it, this is it. What we can say is, what is it by its effects? So mind is a word that's so mystical that I call it the soul. I call the mind the soul. And I do that because that's also a mystical term and that our mind and our soul are singular to us. We may have equal access to forever, but because of our choice and because of our free will and our suitcase of imagination, we're just recreating Genesis every day. We're here to make known the unknown and we have the skill to do it. And because we are equal to see those, the midnight sky, the start Milky Way. So what can we do that with that vision now? Many people do many different things. Our whole uh, utility, if one contemplates us, is to evolve. And we're the agents of evolution on this earth. And that wherever we're from, our uniqueness of mind affects nature. Remember, what we think matters It's quantum physics. What we focus upon in an energy field turns to minute frequency of mass. What we think when we're in a forest matters to that forest. What we think about poor animals, no matter where you find them, matters to that animal. That reality is working for them. Now, if we could harness this with the box or suitcase of our imagination, and go to work. We could create with this toolbox and the power of our mind whole realities for the Indian subcontinent, for Africa, for the Eskimos, for the homeless people in L.A. When we understand that mind is the collective aspects of the fruit that we've created, this person has a glorious mind they do, look what they've done, look what their contribution is, look what they didn't contribute, but what have they quietly written, what did they change on something, you know? It is isn't a race to excellence. We achieve it, we know when we have. When Ram tells us that our life's a gift to be here working on Genesis, making known the unknown... Stamping our mind in the environment. It's we who get to decide. This is good. I'll rest down the seventh day.
0: You said that the fundamentals of genius are a passion for the future, an ambition for understanding.
1: Boy, what a great statement! Who is it jazzed about the future? My new ponderance every day because I create my day. But I've already healed, like, three major things in my body. I still have, you know, a few to go. But every once in a while, I need to change up the program. My saying is, I have all ambition for future now. My ambition. Ambition. So a greedy word. You know, she's ambitious. Yeah, of course I am. You know, he's just an ambitious twit or... Whatever, It's like it's some bad thing, but if that is the modus operandi, the gear shift of your engine, and you're going through those gears of ambition, where are you going? I'm going to the future. Every day, just to change up on working on the body, I remind myself that I have that ambition. Ambition is uh, its what gets us up in the morning. Ambition is when well, we buy a new dress and we can't wait to try it on because we're going somewhere. I mean, which is the most ambitious act? Going somewhere or shopping? I take shopping any day. Going somewhere is to show off what I got in shopping, right? So really, the ambition is the shopping. Forget about wherever I go. That was the funnest part. Without ambition, We have no modality. We have no, uh, we don't have any wind in our sails. You know, we just bump up around the pier and that's it. We never really go out anywhere. Whether it's an imagination, whether it is through reading, whether it is physically getting on a plane and going somewhere, or just hiking somewhere. You have to have ambition to get out of bed. And ambition is a point of focus. So I like to think about that card on the field. I was very ambitious about it, being St. Germain. And I'm looking at this pyramid and the water comes out and the wind's whipping this thing. I mean, I just went there. I mean, it just happened. That's an ambition. When you have, for the teachings, for example, you have for creating your day. If you don't have ambition, you have milk toast. you're wasting your time. Don't even get out of bed. If you're planning for the next two weeks and you want to, you and your friends are going to go somewhere, or you and your honey are going to go somewhere, your family, whatever. Without real ambition, there is no creativity that falls from that. You just become dead weight at a time you feel like you have to go. I think that ambition is just the real raucousness of free will. I think it's what tells us we're alive. Let's see how simply can we see this? You know, you're shown 10 places you could possibly go. You're shown 10 outfits that you could wear, which is the one that grabs your attention. That is ambition because you picked it out of nine other competitors. You picked out a place out of nine other options. That's ambition. And see, when you have people that are milk toast, they're mealy mouth. They're kind of, well, I don't know. Gee, I don't know if I'm going to focus today or not. Those kinds of people, they don't get anywhere in life. And the overly braggarts about ambition, they don't get anywhere in life either. It's a doing. If your biggest ambition is to get off the couch and go to the kitchen and you do that, that was an ambitious moment.
0: Not many people understand the true meaning of ambition in the way you just described it. It's mind-opening to understand it differently and its potentials in its application in our life. Do you understand? It's life. It's vitality. It's what turns you on. And
1: hence, that's reason why our life has the meaning that it has. You don't have to ask somebody, you know, you psychoanalyze somebody, right? Just say, what is your ambition? I mean, don't preach to me. Just tell me, are you really into clothes? I mean, are you really into, you know, we could just go down the list. Are you into hot cars? Are you, you know I mean? What do you want to do? Oh, you want to drive a motorcycle? That's so cool. That's what tells you everything about a person. It's not what they say. It's what they do. It's what they choose. Because anything they tell you is just going to be the after effect or the pre-context to an ambitious choice. It's what they do. It's like Jesus said. It's what they do that will teach you everything about them.
0: Beautiful. Can you please share with us, it's a broad question, more about your journey to becoming a genius and how you started to see things differently.
1: I never thought myself a genius. I mean, I think of genius. I think of Tchaikovsky. I think of, of course, everyone thinks of Einstein. Also think of the others, the other physicists. Do we think of every persuasion of life? There's brilliant people in them. Even the guy who made the best homeless card is a genius. I think my greatest blessing is that I wasn't a beautiful child. My mother had beautiful children. In her other life, she was a royalist, so being that way was very, very important. And it was important in those times. And being sort of an odd child, out, which I was, of all of her nine children, allowed me and then her being a young woman with just two at home the last two which was my little brother and i uh my mother got up walked to work every morning to work as a waitress at a drugstore lunch counter we never had tutors we never had anything we were poor and because we were that way and nobody took care of us and I ran all over Artesia, New Mexico, and I looked after my baby brother. We played in the dirt. We didn't have a lawn. What? Crazy? We'd have shutters. No one cared about me. I didn't expect anyone to care about me. I was never a victim to that. It did hurt when my mother married my stepfather, and they left me at home. It hurt later on when I found out that my mother was trying to give me away to somebody, but nobody would take me because I kind of did that. Uh, they gave my mother away, her mother and stepfather did, to go work at a house in New Mexico. They lived uh, in Texas when I mean, she was just a young woman, 9, 10 years old. She had a first child. She was 13, so that tells you not having oversight, doing really bad in school because I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I never had Crayolas. I never had a pencil without an eraser, which I thought was so cool, you know, none of that. And I didn't know how to read. So it was very poor, student. very, very poor. I had nobody to help me with homework at night. I had nobody. Nobody sit, told me that I was missing anything. I didn't even have lunch money or milk money or any kind of money. Not having anything. Not being special to anyone. Not being important to anyone. Nobody had their mind on me. You know, allowed me to develop my own. And when I met Jesus and gave him my shiny quarter or dime, I can't remember which one it was now, I never had money in my life. I wanted to know why I was going to have supper with Jesus and I had to pay for it. I thought God's God's son wouldn't be that cheap. And that came from my own mind. So, I mean, really, I mean, I said to my mother, you know, look like she had electrocuted me when she was trying to do my hair up. She was horrible with hair. And then sent me off to church with the people she worked at a hamburger stand at night. I said, why do I have to give this to Jesus? If this is God's son. She said, well, you just put it in a plate and mind yourself. I said, well, well, why do I have to do it? I would think God would want to buy me dinner or supper, something delicious. I hated giving that shiny coin in that plate. I just thought, God, God's really cheap with Jesus. I mean, you know, so you develop your own mind. And I did. And it was wonderful. I liked everything. I wanted to know everything. I fixed all kinds of medicinals for the few plants that were in the open lot there. And one of my mother's sewing needle, and I just dipped it in that concoction of whatever I made. And then I punctured the plant with it and said, there, I, it's been vaccinated. So being unmessed with allowed me to have my mind. And then once I became beautiful, it's only because my sister came home from California and brought makeup. I bleached my hair, and I did eyeliner and mascara. I never looked back. And so I went from ugly duckling to beautiful woman, but it was too late then. You know, I already knew this was all paint. You know, they really saw me with my buck teeth and my freckles and my long blonde eyelashes. Big, big forehead. My mother would just say, where did you get that at? Oh, God gave it to me. Go talk to him. I mean, something. It was never about genius. And it was always very fiercely protective of my time to think. I loved playing alone. I loved riding my horse alone. I loved hunting alone. But I was a really popular person because when I would ride my horse out in the desert, so when I talked to God. I went hunting because I could and because I could sit and wait and watch. And I liked that. I loved my mind because I kept hearing this voice in my head this voice was always talking to me in the back of my head. Hear it. I just thought everybody had that going on. It's sort of like you're in college and you're going to a lecture. And you're sitting in an amphitheater and the professor's giving this lecture. And it's really good. Then I'd ask my mother, what is this word? And she'd say, well, what word? And I said, well, this word. And I'd tell her the word. She didn't know what it was. So my mother bought me a dictionary this big. You know, I'm only this tall, this dictionary is this thick. And I was supposed to look up the word. Well, how am I going to look up the word? Well, I finally figured it out. But I would hear these words. And I loved having my own mind. I loved my own thought. And I loved listening to this teacher. Far more interesting than any teacher I had in school. And I'd see things, you know. We have a lot of great abilities. Everybody has the ability because they have peripheral vision to see beings in a different dimension standing right beside them. our lights flying around the rim. everybody does. So peripheral vision is like the rods of our eyes. It's the big pupil, but then we have these rods, peripheral vision. We can see different frequency. Everyone that will ever see this, and has that ability to do it. Can do it right now if they wanted to. Why? Because they don't believe they can. They only believe what their pupil tells them, what they can see, they can hear, what they can touch, they can feel. You can't touch a mind, but you can see a ball of light. This is part of our, our olfactory our senses. No one ever told me that what I was seeing, I didn't see. You understand? And then when I mentioned to my mother one day, after she had married my stepfather, and she had made a pecan pie, something, and I asked her about this word, and then I told her about this person I saw. And without even looking at me, she said, just keep that under your hat. Don't tell anybody you see that. She didn't tell me I didn't see it. She told me, don't tell people you can. So I see Rontha. I think anybody could have. I see friends. I have spiritual friends that live in this house. I see things that hang around people. And those are fruits. Those are people, places, things, times, and events. It's their reality. They may not see these things, but they're on them. And they're on them because they share a reality together. Another being, another spiritual glob. Sometimes they're just globs. And you see it. A lot of people call them vampires. Not really. They're just there because that's how you think. You see what I'm saying? I developed this secular mind. I loved history. I was awesome in mathematics. And then I turned beautiful. And everybody wanted to go out with the babe in school. There were a lot of us that were babes in school. I had a boyfriend. I had several boyfriends. I had lots of girlfriends. but. I like just being by myself. So nobody heard what I heard. Nobody saw what I saw. And I just finally figured out one day it's because I loved God. And that just by choice, I would rather listen to God than these people, not realizing later on that these people are gods. You know, understand? Uh, rather to whatever my connection was. And so what I did, is that I taught myself everything. There libraries everywhere. We didn't have an internet. So if I need to learn something about CATV or cable TV, I went to the library. I still cook for my children, made everything and studied what I didn't know. And, and I just studied this knowledge because once I gave it to my imagination, I could work wonders with it. And I did. I was open to Ramtha, but I didn't know it was open to Ramtha. And we're closed because we never sat down and contemplated how closed-minded we really are.
0: A very inspiring story in a world of a lot of distraction.
1: You know, that old day of running around and being free and playing in the dirt and taking care of yourself. I mean, that's long gone.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate, I agree. Leonardo da Vinci. Pen all his notes in mirror writing. What are your thoughts about that? What an ingenious,
1: clever man.
0: Is there anything you could teach us about why would he write in mirror images? He Common people that.
1: wouldn't even understand how to read what he wrote. So instead of writing a bunch of fancy codes and doing that, all he had to do is to do that and no one could read what he wrote. Knowledge is in plain sight. Do you have the key to understanding it? Wouldn't you think that would be why he did it? His drawings, his work, his brilliance was always getting stolen. He had students, he had patrons that would rifle through his things and take a little of this, a little of that. He developed his own code. So whatever he wrote would befuddle anyone that would try to read it normally. When you start at the left and you need to read across to the right, if you do that into a mirror, what does it look like on the page? Nobody nobody reads that way, except unless you come from the east or from Jerusalem, where you would read. Instead of from the left to the right, you read from the right to the left. But I would think, what a clever thing. Now today, everything we write is kept in national security state. Everything we write on the computer is kept, even by Microsoft Cloud. Now we have to figure out how we could create something without the mama state knowing what we're doing, if only we were as brilliant as Leonardo da Vinci. Very mystical. Um, We know that a mirror is simply glass, that the back has been painted silver, right? And so that reflective quality. Or the spiritual world or dimension that finds no barrier in moving in and out of. That a mirror actually becomes the perfect portal in one's mind in which to see what they look like, check how they're doing, and to glance off a mirror. It's almost to make sure we're still intact. Isn't that odd? Why else would you just mirror glance all day about yourself? You're checking not how you look, something deeper to that. So when we talk about, like, Alice through the looking glass, that whole concept of going through the looking glass and somebody else looking back at you, the mirror provides a dimension. Though it's just reflective quality, that spirits move in and out of it really easily because it's a place they could come in and out of because they can see both sides of reality. They're not just random. They appear in the corner of your bedroom. They come out of something. They can. They can come right through your roof or your window. But on a dimension, when you're looking at a mirror that reflects back to you where you're at, something else can appear in that mirror because it's the one place you always look all the time. You look in your mirror more than you look at anything else. So why shouldn't something appear in your mirror that you would actually see? So becomes a portal. Now remember, anything beyond matter, our mind can move through the mirror. Our spiritual, our ball of light can move through the mirror. Our hand can't because we're vibrating at the same rate of speed. But what it does is the mirror, let's just say that this is a round or an oblong mirror, provides the one place we're always looking at, and that's the one place things are going to appear. Because you're looking at them and something else is looking at you. Alice through the looking glass saw a whole other world that was shown to her. She got to go through it, have the big adventure. I saw Ramtha in a mirror once, you know, the room that we did the last interviews with. I mean, there have been so many people walk out of the mirrored wall in there while people have been in there and seen them. You don't have to be a psychic. I mean, you just have to know that this reflection of yours, who's watching you, for some, it's an easy passage. It's a compass. When Rampa teaches you to do mirror work, that's because you get to see the unseen manifesting through the mirror. That is marvelous.
0: How is it that DNA begins as a quantum wave and not as a molecule?
1: Because DNA is the pattern of the past, present, and future in building a molecule. It's a little tiny engine that can redesign the molecule around it a trillion times in one lifetime. Whereas if we had a molecule, where would the engine be or the element or the patterns for their change? It's change. Where would those be? On the receptor sites, for proteins and elements and no, where would it be? The seed of life, the light that that we are can be as tiny as the head of a pin. Maybe it's not a big world we go into. Maybe it's a tiny world we go back to. The pattern of DNA is in every seed of every plant, knows how to reproduce itself of every animal. We, in our day-to-day, day-in and day-out life, through our attitudes and our choices and free will, we code that, what's called the soul. DNA becomes coded by our life existence. That's the book of life. And so that seed is passed on so that the next ball of light that inhabits the child that we create, this will be a Maserati instead of a Volkswagen. Do you understand? So in other words, our occupancy of beingness in this world depends upon a body that is made of this world. And we're endeavoring to make the greatest body possible. And so every lifetime, just like every animal works, every creature works to take care of its young. It's compelled by nature. To have young to pass on its seed, because the whole art of passing on its seed means that its the next generation will be a better generation than this one. And that was the contribution of that spirit. So then, in three generations from that, it'll come back again as that one, because it will have caught up with the reality it already knew. So now it's living in a body that is equal to the mind in which it created. So in three generations down the line, we come back and we're manifested in this body that happens to be just what we thought about three bodies ago or three generations ago. And it took that long to materialize in flesh. She's just why I think it's so beautiful that some people that they're born in one generation and they go back and look at their genealogy, they look identical. 500 years ago to their, you know, wood carving of their aunt or their uncle. And they go, oh my God, this looks like me. Well, probably was you. And it took that long for your thoughts to manifest in DNA running the gamut. So what we're doing is we're making better models for ourselves. It's for anyone. And then you have to be frequency specific with it. Well, how frequency specific can you get when it was your idea three generations earlier? I always said that, you know, you want God to forgive you and you need redemption. I believe in redemption. I subscribe. I live redemption. So the way the church has molded that is exactly the way I think redemption is in the bigger picture. Redemption is DNA that, We're today in this life, we're going to be building ourselves a better life. And we're going to be redeemed from cancer. We're going to be redeemed from heartbreak. We're going to to be redeemed from poverty. We're going to be redeemed, I mean, God knows. You mean, you name it, by what is the greatest thing, what you think matters. Yes. So we self-correct any lackey stuff, clean that up, any limited stuff clean that up because one day we're going to live in a brand new model, a Maserati self. You understand? And so why does it matter? Because it does. And one day we'll get the redemption of being the good person in life and bearing the good fruit in life and making life better because of us. So I think redemption is evolving DNA of yourself and passing it along. So why am I jazzed about being 73 years old? I always wanted to be older because to me, old people were wise. Us young people were stupid. It was so obvious that we were just, you know, fell off the wrong turn of wagon. I wanted to be wise. I wanted to be like King Solomon, who could ask God of anything. And only thing King Solomon wanted was the wisdom to lead the Jewish people. This wisdom. What a great idea. So I always wanted to be old. I could hardly wait to be old. And now I've arrived. And now I'm not rushing to be 80, like I was rushing when I was 50 to be 60, when I was 30 to become 40, and so on and so on. I've arrived at being old. I'm enjoying the wisdom and the things I can look back and say, wow, isn't this great? Am I the child that started out in that cotton field? What a journey. God took care of me all of the way. The idea that I was able to figure this out, real work and real contemplation, It's a great mystery. How wonderful is it to be old, to know this, to be jazzed to the heavens about it. And my line dies with my children, Brandy and Chris. They don't have any children. But it won't die with me. And that I know that I'll transcend and go wherever I go. But that when I come back, I'll come back to a mind like mine, except evolved. And a body like mine, except evolved. You see, my body was carved by Ramtha to be exactly the woman talking about God instead of some overstuffed man. Or He he did a perfect choice. Just as long as it's for the first time a woman standing up and bringing it and I mean bringing it, and stand up against tragedy and all the things, I'm not being burned at the stake, but I was uh, socially, and I was in my reputation. I was, uh, I was trumped in a big way because it was the church and the politicians that went after me. Because you see, they have to keep that power inside of their cathedrals. I lived through all of that, and I can see lifetimes down the road I could see lifetimes on another planet. I could see lifetimes as growing up as one of the fleet commanders on a great ship. I mean, this is where my mind, is isn't fighting Mr. Wonderful, it's finding Mr. Wonderful. Yeah, you know, the Wonderful. I mean, who lives up to that? We want to go find Mr. Wonderful, the eye of God, and fly a ship through that baby. Just meet all these lovely beings and then traverse the dimensions and see if we shrink, we grow, what happens to us. Because we, at the heart of this reality, are indestructible. You may kill my body. It may get sick. It may get old and shriveled up and become not at least lovely to look at. I'll never age. I'm only wiser. I am building a rainbow mind. Marvelous things. Am I afraid of death? Not on your life. No. I love my body because it served me so well. It served two different DNAs. It moved mountains. It heals sick. It sent runners to glorious things. What well, is not to be happy about that? Just I think
0: see.
1: what if I was on a ship going through the eye of God, that galaxy? And seeing it, what if that is what I'm staring at? The whole dreams of mother and Mr. Wonderful and being femme fatale, beautiful, whatever, 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 whatever. Marrying the richest person in the world, why? I just expect more of you. I mean, you're just a piece of meat being sold. Freedom is such a, oh, to have the freedom of mind and not have to prostitute yourself for it. I mean, I would rather live in a tent. Than have everything in the world but an ability to think for myself. Nobody can take that from me. And so, with that, the idea that of transcending the little woman, you know, our little woman roles, I mean, we're women beyond the man woman relationship thing. Man, I want a relationship with the future. Man, that's where my ambition is. I want to ride the craft. I want to go the world's unknown. I want to go in dimensions. I want to sit with little people. That's so much better than making a chocolate pie, isn't it? So much better. (laughs) (laughs) Why can't life be an adventure? And then one day, it's not that we are he or she, but we are, and it sort of have transcended. That need on this planet, I think when we transcend our divisiveness in uh, opposites, male, female, I think when we transcend that, and I'm not talking about transgender, it's not what I'm speaking about, but when we transcend it as women and men, and that we think this big, I think that's when we're ready to leave this planet because we're not hankering to come back and have sex for the first 20 years of our life or romance or whatever, because we've had it so much. Men have to be here because they're not liberated. Women have to be here who aren't liberated who need men who aren't liberated. Or they're beginning to get liberated, but women aren't. When women become liberated in their own, has to be here in their mind. That's what I think we transcend. You can't ascend. Let's just be practical. You can't ascend looking like we're looking and wanting to be completed Are complete already. It's just, when do we know that? And so when we do, then we've evolved out of this being into a new kind of being. And so you say, well, what replaces romance? Something. Something does Because it just can't be all that we already know that it is. It's too limited. The cost of it's too high. Something does. And shouldn't that be a part of the unknown? Of course, when I got free completely and forgave myself of needing somebody, it's the happiest day in my life. We would travel together and I would say, I can't wait to go home to my happy home. Because there was no man waiting, just my dogs and all the lovely people that work here. It's just perfect. My world was perfect. Still is to this day.
0: Ramtha spoke about the spirit being the source of genius. Can you please share with us your experience and understanding?
1: Well, without the spirit, where is genius? In the brain, when the brain is inanimate, it's on life support. What makes us alive? What makes a brain alive? What makes a body alive? Us. So, spirit. Genius is consciousness in the thought. Both of those are electrical frequencies. If your spirit is a ball of light, well, if you take it away, have you ever seen someone die? So how did they look when they died? Did they look the same? Did the body look the same? But what left?
0: The spirit.
1: Yes. So that thing that's laying there, Is it a genius? The body that's left, is that a genius? So then what is the bringer of genius? Creator of life, the spirit. When everyone talks about it, they go through the tunnel, and then when they finally stay, because, you know, you sometimes have to be forced back, like I had a jackboot in the middle of my back, forcing me through a screen door to come back. You know, when Ramtha says it's important you forgive yourself, you got to forgive yourself and then self-correct, right? Not only is that cleaning up the reality that can allow what you want to have happen because you don't realize you're the one standing in the way of the reality through your own mind. When we are free on the other side from incarnation is when we know it. And we have no hankerings, no lacks, no nothing. Because we are a, a being of light. And there's this other light that's waiting for us. And there is no love in this world that is like that light. None. None. The words are impoverished, to say the least, to describe it. When you return to it, that's what returning home is. You're returning from whence you came. The glory of light. The light that was before the cosmos were created. We're going home. And there are a few beings that they they just want to go home and stay, maybe for trillions of years. To them, could have been an afternoon. Then there's others who know they have to return. They're now going through that DNA. They're going to come back in the DNA they didn't resolve with their mind when they were alive. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So they're going to be born with a lot of adversity, prejudice, guilt, hatred, love, neediness, happiness, joy. They have to come back because they haven't finished out their business. So they come back and they're reincarnated in the next body up. So they have to live that life. They have to resolve their emotional issues. Put them to rest with love and kindness. And above all, with knowledge. And then live the life out to create the new strands of DNA that contain wisdom. And then your work is done. Then your work is done. So the body can be taken. Fine. We aren't our body. We're just using it in our time. We're just now addressing religion. We're just now addressing equality. It's really now addressing things we never addressed before. Growing up, there are some of us who do come back, and we all never die. Now, body does, but that's like clipping your fingernails. That's what's left.
0: You invented the magnificent blue room. A patented technology enhanced by narrowband UBB Light. Can you please tell us how the idea came to you? Well, just remember,
1: I created the Blue Rib filed for uh, my patent when I was 70. So it just shows you that when you become going into your dotage, I mean, your mind is still pretty awesome. If you just take it out of the corral that it's in, people grow older and they sort of find their little corral and they kind of stay in it. They don't just cast it out to the wind and say, I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to to study something different today. Their mind just sort of stays defined. When you leave your body, sometimes you're aware and by grace of God, you have memory. For me, it's sort of like, you know, I was out of my body. I was up on the ceiling. Or I saw Rump in the room upstairs. And then I, I don't remember going anywhere. I don't remember driving to the next dimension or flying there. anything. Just there. And in this one place for years, I remember particularly in the 90s is when I started remembering this place. I didn't know if I'm on a planet like Earth, I'm somewhere. But the light around this planet or in the atmosphere is all blue, beautiful. Because I mean, you can look up at the sky and see other planets. You know, for a long time I thought, my God, I'm on the Seven Sisters, you know, the Pleiades, this must be where I'm at, I don't know. The moment that I'm there, I've always been there. It's like, you know, I walked out of wherever I was at and took a break and, and I'm going back. Even though me going there, what I would think would have been the first time, I don't know how often I've been there. Would have been the first time, but when I'm there, I've always been there. In this place, it's beautiful, beautiful atmosphere. Meaning you can see like this beautiful sort of pink uh, lavender blaze, you know, off near the horizon. The beings that are there are all blue. In my brain, what I've downloaded was, is that these beings, everybody's big. I know everybody. I've known them forever. I know that when I look at them. And they're everywhere. These beings are everywhere. There's a lot going on. Kind of looks like a cave. Kind of isn't. It's kind of like this huge round building. But sometimes when you think it's a cave, suddenly you're looking at a cave. And I started wondering when I reappeared once there, where's this light coming from? I didn't see a blue sun in the sky. I didn't see a a sparkler or a blue star or anything. Like, what is the light source? Contemplated a lot on that. When I went back to being me who's always been there, that thought appears in my head. But it's a thought from this life. Just let that hang there. So. I'm going, well, everything around here is alive. Everything emanates it. It is not just an ambient light, but it's the light, the atmosphere where we, where we are, what we are. You know, you're always equal to your environment. Otherwise, we end up wearing spacesuits, you know, to visit the moon or if you go out in space with your own body, you have to put it in a suit. In an evolved life, we understand. And by the way, our government already has the cylinder to go dimensional, it already can. In other words, it can send its space people into that blue realm and they become blue people and they've always lived there. I know, I know, I know. This is a puzzle, okay? So our government and Space Force has been going on for a long time. They have this technology. So sometimes when you're there, we do know that we had a life on Earth It seemed like it was centuries ago, but it was just a moment ago when I appeared there. And I carried a thought with me that appeared in my brain there. Isn't that cool? So I'm thinking about this, this light source. It just emanates from everything. And I come to the conclusion that it's coming off of the beings of which one of them is me. I've never seen myself in a mirror, but I like what I am, whatever I am. and so. When I realized that here, I went, ah, I'm having this contemplation about this place and I'm trying to reach the chasm of, of this dimensional existence I have somewhere else. When at some point during my going and coming back, they gave me a design to make and it came from them and they like knew that I was here or they were here, I don't know. So they gave me this design, the octagon shape. I said, and this is what, how you build it, blah, blah, blah. Sort of like God gave, you know, the arc business. Except mine's just a little blue room. And this is what's missing. Because the moment you go into a blue room, the UVB light is replacing what's aging in your body and going out. In other words, it's a refueling to take in light again that gives the body vitality. It's what your mind does. It's what the ball of light in you does. And as you grow older, that signal gets less and less and less and DNA stops producing uh, cellular content. So I wanted to build this room. I drew it. I visualized it. And so one day when I met Matt, I fixed him lunch and he came over and I said, you know, I just want to propose something to you. I know how to build this room that would heal a lot of people. And, you know, that's big with me. has to be a perfect octagon. Every segment must be in three because all numbers must equal nine. Very specific. And he said, I'll do it. And I went, you realize we have to build, this is going to be built in your clinic. He says, that sounds exciting. Let's do it. And I went, okay, well, um, I'll draw it out, and then uh, we'll find somebody to build it. And I'll pay for having it built. It was really risky because it cost a lot to build it. And that was my first one. And so impressive were his first clients, his first patients that went into the room that I could see for myself, and I knew it. And when I went in, it rocked my world because this is... Can I absorb this blue planet light? And so that really began the Blue Room. And it was the first one at Dr. Matt's office. And then because it was so good, then I built my own and I patented it. So since then, we've gotten 140,000 sessions around the world. and a lot of testimonials. That's how my Blue Room got started. And there's, 38 of them, there's 10 in production, there's another 10, 15 that are NDAs waiting to decide what they want to do. and we're getting them everywhere. So you feel really jazzed about it because it really did come from heaven.
0: Wow, that brings us to the outstanding conclusion of our exceptional conversation with JC and I. We thank her for sharing with us so much wisdom and personal experiences from her extraordinary life. To our We Genius Minds podcast listeners, we truly hope to have inspired you. Stay tuned for our next podcast. And don't miss our groundbreaking film, Evolution, the Genius Equation, at our website, wegeniusminds.com. Thank you for joining us.